You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 89 of the Team Stripes Podcast, proudly presented by Acme Whistles, helping you make the big call since 1870. The legendary Acme Thunderer is now available in matte black. Acme Whistles, proudly associated with the NHL since 1917. Ross, we're back as usual. How are you this week? Dude, I'm doing pretty good. Had a pretty easy weekend hockey-wise last weekend. Really didn't uh, skate too much. Um, actually, I don't even remember what I did last weekend. What did I do? I don't remember. Anyway. So long ago. Yeah, right? Uh, nothing crazy last weekend. Obviously, I don't even remember what happened. Um, so then this weekend coming up, we got high school states down in Fort Myers. So I'm going to have to shave this beard off, which mm. kind of sucks. Oh wait. Yeah. Last weekend I had junior playoffs. That's what it was. How was that? Um, my game, I had a DQ check from behind and a DQ head contact. And then none of the series that I was scheduled to work went to game three. So I did not have to go back there on Monday. Sold. So I worked Saturday called my two DQs, called a DQ in the second game, which was the one I was lining. So standard procedure for me. Easy, quiet weekend. Yeah, you know. I had the quietest weekend to date. I had a junior game Friday night that, I mean, was both teams were out of the playoffs. One of them were playing the last game of the regular season. So, like, nobody wanted to be there. It was just pack it up, go home type of hockey game. Yeah. And then the rest of the weekend, we are done with travel. So we have a little bit of high school left. So I think I did one high school game and then like three house league gotcha. games, which I haven't done house yeah. league in a, in a hot minute. So it was... our high school league in Tan- we closed that out a couple weeks ago. We just have states this weekend to figure out who are the two teams going to nationals. Yeah. In Omaha, Nebraska. Oof. Our high school, like Half of us, like half of the high school games I'll skate in the next few weeks are going to be like playoff games or makeup games from the regular season. Mm-hmm. And then the other half are state games. And like, it's going to be stupid confusing. Cause like generally we have all the States on one weekend, but for whatever yeah. reason this year, they like, I did one last Tuesday. And then like, I think I do one this Sunday. Like it's just, it's all over the place, but gotcha. Hey, who cares? Yeah, I got Friday and Saturday. I can't do Sunday because I work at the brewery on Sundays. Um, The following weekend, we have U15 AAAs. Mm -hmm. So I am skating the games on Friday. And then I think Saturday, my goal is to go watch and actually get some film. But anyway, I think we should uh, go ahead and get into it. Um, I think we kind of wanted to start on a somber note. Obviously, last week we we heard of the passing of Canada's hockey dad, Mr. Walter Gretzky, the man who I mean, obviously he was Wayne Gretzky's father, but he meant so much more to the game. Like, again, he was Wayne's dad, um, greatest hockey player ever to put him on. Yeah, but, and I uh, mean, whenever anybody has ever talked about Mr. Walter Gretzky, like. Mm-hmm. It's he's always had time for everybody, no matter yep. who they were, like always shook hands, took pictures, just the ultimate hockey dad, just a great guy, obviously. Yep. Ambassador sudden passing. Of the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess they, I think Wayne said in the eulogy that they knew it was coming. Um, 
I think they were all at the house for like 21 something straight days, uh, spending, you know, spending time sharing stories and all that. So our condolences to the Gretzky family, um, you know, between Wayne and Walter. And uh, it's funny, Brent played here for the lightning. Um, so, you know, that family's had a huge influence on the game of hockey. So our condolences to the Gretzky family. Bill, the two brothers with the most points uh, combined yes, between them. Yes, that's my all-time favorite trivia question. Doesn't <laughs> Brent people... only have like four points too? Yeah, it's something yeah. silly like that. And, you know, it's funny. When Brent played for the Lightning, he wore number 49. And um, I guess he used to tell people I wear 49 because I'm half as good as my brother. I like that. I mean, Yeah. Everybody was but, half as good. <laughs> it's just funny. It's like, but when you're like, are you really? But yeah, it was it was funny. Um, I, I remember hearing that story and, and laughing. He uh, but yeah, he had a he had a cup of coffee with the lightning, and I think mostly they signed him just because they had a game coming up against Gretzky. And, oh, wanted, and his last name was Gretzky, so yeah, he yeah. must be good, right. So, but yeah, if uh, any of you guys get the chance to watch um, the eulogy that Wayne did, um, he did say something that stuck out to me at the end was he said, uh, the world would be a better place if a lot more people were like my dad. So Mm -hmm. uh, again, our condolences. So moving forward, we have an awesome interview. We got some stuff to talk about. Um, Where do you want to start? I mean, let's just start breaking down clips because I think there's like seven or eight of them we have to talk about. Oh, 100%. I think we would be remiss if we did Should we start, start with the Tom Wilson hit? See, I was thinking the other one is Mr. Ovechkin because oh. I can't remember if we talked about it last week or not. Well, the fact that that wasn't called a match blows my mind. Um, I understand that it is Alex Ovechkin, but at the end of the day, you can't rack a guy like that. And when you watch the video, you see his stick flex when he makes contact. Mm -hmm. You can hear the Bruins player whose name eludes me. Frederick. Scream. Like, and it's one of those things, like, as, as a guy, we see this and we're just, and we all were like, ooh. So I just, I don't know. I, I really think that should have been more than just a minor penalty. So Frederick was all over him that game. Like, I, I understand. Like, Frederick's doing his job. I, I get it. If you're Ovechkin, I don't think you do that. I mean, Frederick got a cross check and Ovechkin mm-hmm. got a slash and they were even. Well, if then obviously Ovi got fined $5,000 for it. Still, I think if we're talking any other player besides Ovechkin, that's a suspension. Oh, yeah. So it's like, look, I get it. He's a star player, mm-hmm. and it's Alexander Ovechkin. He's the face of the league in a sense. Well, one of them, yeah. One of them. But I think it sends a very, very strong message to not only the rest of the league, but all the young kids coming up saying, hey, if you're a star player – yeah, you can get away with it. Yeah. Meanwhile, like for me looking at that, like if I see that happen in one of my games, whether I'm ref or lining, you're not playing the rest of that hockey game. Oh, God, no. You're, you're at not. least getting a five game. 
at least yeah. game DQ match, whatever it is. Like you were not playing the rest of that hockey game. Yeah. It, it wasn't a hockey play. It had nothing to do with hockey. Sure. I get it. Frederick's cross-checking you a little bit here or there, but that's not a minor penalty in any, any game. I know. I'll have I I I would say any supervisor is going to tell you if you went match there you would be supported because Ovechkin looks right at him mm-hmm. and just spears well, him right. I in the tell nuts. you right now if if we're as far mm-hmm. as a majority of us that you know that do youth and junior, you're calling that a match. That is a match penalty. It was complete intent to injure, um, and done. Let the league handle it from there. A guy At minimum that, five game. Yeah. Well, on it. Well, again, I think you just go match and you let the league hand out the supplemental discipline. I, I think it's just the smarter the. It's a CYA kind of thing as far as being an official goes. Um, like we talk, we we've talked about in the past on this podcast. If there's an option to give a game or potentially a match, like go with it. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to make that call. It doesn't matter who it is. Don't be afraid to do it. Yeah, the the only reason why I say five game there is, uh, to me, the match has to be like the guy's got to be damn near dead or dying. Like, yes, he gets speared in the nuts. Yes, that's hurt. But is it an injury? No, you can say five game. Yeah, but deliberate attempt to injure. That's I know. I do not disagree with that at all. If if that's the way you went, that's the way you go. I would support it. Um. Personally, for me, easy five game. I'd probably talk to my parent, my partners, not my parents, mm-hmm. but my partners. Your about, parents, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna call my dad real quick. Like, hey, hey what dad, do you, what do you think? Uh, hey, dad, this guy uh, Ovi just racked this guy. Yeah, that's what, what are we calling here? Yeah, I'm definitely talking to my partners potentially about a match, but I think mm-hmm. more than likely and fast, like in real time, you're probably gonna call five game there. Yeah, for sure. And and I don't think anybody's gonna have any issues um, with that. But yeah, see. he did get what five grand, five thousand dollars suspension. Yeah. Which I mean, that's a drop in a bucket for him. That's nothing. And he and he let everybody know about it too. <laughs> so, which I feel like if you're getting suspended or suspended, if you're getting fined that five grand, and then you make a comment like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like they should tack on another $5,000 suspension. Right. Just be like, oh, well, if that's not enough. Yeah. If that's the case, give us another five. Yeah. Or just suspend them because, you know, that's what it should be. Uh, Moving on, we got. Do we want to go to the Wilson hit? I mean, we might as well since that's probably the biggest one. Honestly, the Wilson one, there was a lot of talk on the Facebook group about it. And we have to talk about it. And. We need to put on our referee sweaters here and not our Washington captain. Not our I hate <laughs> Tom Wilson or I'm a Capitals fan or I'm a Bruins fan. Like straight up, this is a hit. This is a kind of play that has no place in our game today. When you are coming in there, the guy is completely vulnerable. And you just hit him in the head. Personally, now, if I bring in my personal opinion on it with Tom Wilson, I, I think the guy just needs to go because he, he's he been suspended over and over again. Yes, it's been three years since the last time. And someone mentioned, oh, it's been over three years. He's uh, he's no longer considered a, comp- uh, a repeat offender. Well, when the NHL released their video on why he got suspended for seven games, it did say, 
he has a history of doing this mm-hmm. regard basically regardless of the fact that he hasn't done it in a while he still has a history of it and i think it i don't know what it's going to take for one of these headshots suspended for an entire season or you know a half a, something crazy to really send a message that hey if a guy's in a vulnerable spot and you hit him in the head you're gonna sit for a long time yeah i mean looking at just the suspension itself it's one eighth of a season Mm -hmm. so if you're putting that into a 82 game schedule one eighth of a season's pretty good i mean that's 10 games yeah so they're kind of i think that's how they thought of it is hey this is a 10 gamer but due to the shortened season Mm -hmm. and i'm okay i'm okay with that they scaled it that's fine 100 i do agree though with you that these at a certain point with wilson and look i i have no issues with the way wilson plays he plays right up to the line sometimes he crosses it i understand he's done this more than once but look like this is wilson's role do i agree that the cheap shots need to happen no by by any means no but do I like a guy that plays right up to that line? Hundred percent, I love it. Mm-hmm. Look, this one is if you're just, seeing it in in you know like in in real time, you mm-hmm. are no doubt your arm better be up for a five game mm-hmm. because he came in, he didn't have his. I mean, his stick was literally above his head, mm-hmm. so he had no intent to play the puck. Which in USA hockey, that's a big no no now. Yep. So he's got no intent to play the puck. He's going in hitting a vulnerable guy, five game absolute minimum and i think the the hardest thing on this hit was i believe it wasn't called on the ice i or was it i, I don't, don't think it was and the only reason being is either the one referee was way too close to it or he was looking through about seven bodies and missed the contact yeah um either way you can't hit a guy directly in the head um no and actually uh to go along with that hit um, there was a hit in the Blackhawks lightning game on Sunday that I was watching and um, Connor Murphy on the Hawks uh, got a match penalty um, for hitting um, Eric Chernak directly in the head. He left his feet, followed through shoulder to head, initial point of contact, knocked Chernak out of the game. So, and they, they, both referees called it. They went and reviewed it. Hey, call on the ice is confirmed. We have a match penalty for head contact. Now there's no uh, suspension that came out of it. Cause I believe it was um, Murphy's first time getting that kind of a penalty and it was midway through the game. So he did miss half a game at that point. But again, that's another, it's, Hits to the head, targeting the head has no place in our game. So my issue with him not getting any suspension is that it was a match penalty on the ice. Yeah. I understand it's the National Hockey League and a match penalty doesn't carry an automatic 30-day suspension like in USA. Mm -hmm. But I think as a league, if you say you want these headshots out of the game, Mm-hmm. And then the referees on the ice during live, like full speed go, mm-hmm. Oh shit. That was a match penalty. You should probably back them a little bit and give them yeah. something of a suspension just to send mm-hmm. the message of like, look, I don't care if you're a first time offender or you're Tom Wilson. This is your ninth time here. 
Like if you hit a guy in the head and it is deemed either a match penalty or even a five game, you're getting suspended. Mm -hmm. No ifs, ands, or buts. And we'll start, we'll start at one or two games even. Yeah. I mean, like, well, I mean, it's a progressive scale. hundred percent. But if, if the referees deemed it a match penalty, I think you should automatically be looking at a three game suspension. Mm -hmm. And the only way that gets overturned is if for some reason, every single referee goes, Oh, we we, like if, 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 if somehow the referees missed it and they call it a match and it shouldn't be in a match. Okay. Sure. Overturn it then. But these guys working the National Hockey League, if they call a match penalty, it's a match penalty. Yep. Like, I've never seen them call a match penalty where I'm like, ooh, maybe not a match. So it's like, yeah. if if you want these out of the game, which they do, the NHL wants these out of the game, USA Hockey wants them out of the game, Hockey Canada wants them out of the game, yep. suspend the guy. I mean, double IHF does it. You get a yep. five-game head contact, you're out for a game, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. Like, and especially in double IHF, it's even more, you know, it's more severe because that one game could be a gold medal game. Yeah. So they're saying, exactly. let's take it out. Let's take it out. We have a match penalty. And then because the kids never had a, even a game misconduct, like, Oh no, like let's slap them on the wrist and call it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it just, um, it's, it sucks. It really does that, you know, we're, uh, we're, we just see this kind of stuff happen. And, and honestly, I think the worst thing about like about this, uh, this Murphy hit or the um, Tom Wilson hit is seeing some of the comments, like particularly this, this Blackhawks Connor Murphy hit people are just like, how is that a penalty? Keep your head down and players, you know, keep your head up. Yeah, the guys to clean hit on the ice. Yeah, the kid, the guy's laying there. He Cernak missed the rest of the game too. He probably. I, I mean, did he come back? Like, has no, he? No, he missed. Well, no, no, no. He he did play in the next game. He passed the concussion protocol, I think, but they just sat him out the rest of the game. There, I would too. Um, it just, I I don't understand. And I mean, even more so, moving kind of moving on the McKinnon hit that it was the San Jose player came across the ice, blindsided mm-hmm. McKinnon straight into the head. The refs called a match penalty on the play, reviewed yes. it. And then they sail stead. Yeah. That's a match penalty. Yes, exactly. And I mean, like we posted that video literally to say, yo, this is a match penalty. Like, yep. The guy skated by and raised an elbow into yep. the head. The first point of contact was the head. And yet there were still people yep. saying like, oh, he got El- on the shoulder. El- elbow, shoulder, direct to the head. Like he grazed the shoulder. Primary point of contact was the head. 100%. But then even, even on the McKinnon hit, there was no suspension came out of it. Well, it, I think it was um, early enough in the game that he missed a substantial amount of it. But that should um, matter. I, that's I think I believe that's kind of the way they do it. Like if it's late in the game, they'll carry over suspension. If it's a first time offense and he misses a decent amount of the game, sometimes like it's weird. I, I don't know the exact formula. I I'm sure I could ask a few people and find out what 
the mentality is. And actually, you know what? Maybe I'll maybe I'll do that. I will. Um, I'll, I'll run it up the chain and see if I can find some kind of an answer as far as um, what their train of thought is when deciding whether or not to suspend a guy for a match. And I mean, like, obviously the NHL cannot go as severe as what USA does. But if mm-hmm. in USA hockey, if you get a match penalty, you're sitting 30 days. Yep. No or hearing asked. whichever comes first. Yeah, exactly. But like no questions asked. You're sitting until this hearing, which mm-hmm. generally is like, you know, hopefully it's closer to the start of the month. So you get a few, you know, you yeah. miss a few games, but still like you're sitting until we talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then after that's after that meeting, half the time they're like, hey, you know what? Like time served 30 days, you're a okay. Yeah. But then the other half, they're like, what are you doing? Like mm-hmm. this is this is the stuff we want out of hockey. I understand back in the 70s and 80s, like this is how it used to be. And like, yeah, I mean, even when I played growing up, same that's the type of hits that we had, but yeah, you can't do that anymore. I mean, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if uh you know, after I'm gone and they're able to finally check for CTE, I wouldn't be surprised oh. if I have it. Like it, it just and these hits to the head and concussions lead to other problems in life, you know, like I, I've been pretty open with my struggles with depression and that kind of stuff. And that's part that's a symptom of concussions. Mm-hmm. So it just, we, we need to stop this stuff. Yeah. And I mean, like I am, I am fully aware of, of the risk that we take as players, even as officials, when we step mm-hmm. on the ice that we can get a concussion. Yep. I've had, I've, had more than I would like to admit I've had. I think I'm up to number eight or nine now. I had mm-hmm. one earlier this season. It's something that the NHL is saying we want out of the game. It's yep. something that all the way down to gra- grassroots is saying we want out of this game. And then within a week, we have three hits to the head and only yeah. one of them got suspended. Yep. And the only thing that, the only thing I can think of on the two that didn't get suspended was it was their first time. That shouldn't matter. I, I understand that. And it like, shouldn't matter. I, I also understand the counter argument of like, Hey, hockey's a fast sport. Like shit happens. Mm-hmm. I get that. But if you hit a guy in the head, I don't care yeah. if it was on accident. If it was a Tom Wilson on purpose, I don't care. You're getting suspended at least. Yeah. A game. Well, I mean, let's just like the Fabro hit last night. Um, that the elbow. Both- the elbow, like it's. I think. Uh, I think I saw on STR. Yeah, scouting the refs has um, Fabro awaiting a hearing so for the hit. He had the hearing today. He got two games for it. Okay, so he did have two games. Well, there you go. So that's a two game. See you later. But so exactly. So we have an elbow that happens, and it was mm-hmm. a clear cut elbow to the head. Do like, we know at what time in the game did it happen? Six thirty. Six okay, so on the about board, half second period. Yeah, so about halfway through the game, and he got suspended. So and they called a minor on it, so he stayed in the game. Mm, okay, so everybody got together, talked about it, and they came out with a minor. I don't know how the review works. Okay, so the way the review works is one of the guys on the ice has to say it was a major. Okay, if nobody says it was a major, they're not going to review it. But if one of the guys says, hey, I have a major penalty here, we need to go review this. So then they go review it, and they have two options on the review. Call the major or call a minor, not get rid of the penalty altogether. 
So I, I understood that last part, but why then would we not just say, hey, you know what? We have a guy bleeding from his mouth. We know there's a penalty. Yeah. Let's call it a major and let's go review it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I I have a feeling part of it is they don't want to be going and reviewing every little hit. Yes. That's but at the same time, like at the NHL level or the professional hockey level in general. Most of the time, if you're going, oh, shit, that's a penalty, that's probably going to be a five. Now, not necessarily, not all the time, but a fair amount of it, it's like, okay, yeah, we should go take a look at this. If you have the opportunity to, why not? Take 30 seconds, skate over up. Yeah, yeah, that's more than a minor. Um, and and especially with this Fabro hit, I mean, I keep looking at it. The best angle on it completely was going to be the linesman on the bench side. Because the puck gets rimmed around the uh, Nashville net, and the ref's standing at the other, like on the far end side, so he's looking through it. But mm-hmm. you see, Fabro, his stick is here for the play; like it's it's chest yeah. high to make the hit, which I'm I'm okay with the hit there. There should be contact there, mm-hmm. but the fact that his stick isn't on the ice is warning number one to uh, me that this hit's probably going to be a little bit high. Now, I would be willing to say that it wasn't called a minor on the ice or a major on the ice was because of how quick – was that McGinn? Yeah. Yes. How yeah, quick well, he got right back up. But, like, the thing is, is, like, he's checking for blood. He got hit in the head. Yeah. Well, so yeah, like, he's – it's a – that the, the play there isn't to separate him from the puck. It's to punish. Correct. So, like, so, I, I can see how they only say minor, especially at the National League level. Mm-hmm. Um, USA, no doubt, 210. You, yeah, could, well, you could easily go five game. Yeah. Um, 210. Five, well, actually, um, that actually came up in um, – oh, wait, never mind. No, no, no. You can't go five game without an injury on those mm-hmm. hits. That's right. But this uh, is also where it gets this is also get where it gets really interesting because like you bring up a good point. He pops up right away in the National Hockey League. You're probably mm-hmm. only gonna go minor. So why yeah. say it's a major to begin with? He yeah. was checking for blood. I didn't really see if there was any blood. I'm just like generally if yeah. a guy's checking for blood, there's blood. I mean, yeah. unless he gets high sticked, but that's because they all overreact now, anyways. But like you, you got an elbow to the face. Yeah. And it's well, a minor penalty. So like in a youth game, depending on the temperature of the game, you could go standalone five major elbow there too. You don't necessarily Correct. have to kick them out um, on a play. Like, so like that one there, I would have been okay with major elbow be done with it. Yeah. And honestly, if they called the major, there might not have been the suspension involved. Maybe. Um, yeah. And this isn't, Obviously, we're not throwing guys under the bus here. No. Too. I, I want everyone to no. keep that in mind. You know, there it happens at full speed. Yes, they have the option to replay. I kind of wish they would have taken advantage of it on this, but the replay thing is new to them. You know, that's new this year, right? Or last year? This I this think year. it's this year. Because it was after no, it would have been last year because it was after the elbow yes, it was after in the, San Jose. Yeah, so it was last so this year. is year two. So this is year two of it, and it's one of those things like it's still new. They don't want it to look like it's a crutch Mm -hmm. because how many times have we heard people complain that now they're using video review? Um, 
as a crutch on goal interference calls. Yeah, way too often. Like, we hear it all the time that, oh, these guys are just pointing at the net and relying on the coaches to challenge the goal. Yep. You know, so I, I can understand them not wanting to overuse it for the perception of, ah, I get to look at it again on replay anyway. So I, I get that part, but I don't know. I just feel like it could be used a little more. I was going to say, I think out of – I honestly don't know how many times they've looked. I know the McKinnon one, they looked at it to see – to make sure it was a match penalty. Yeah. But, like, if there's one case, like, that I think as the NHL is looking at it and saying, hey, here's one to use the replay on this hit mm-hmm. is – somebody say hey i think there might have been a major there because the first point of contact was the head it was an elbow the guy sticks up here like yeah it's a sellable one to say hey we're gonna go look at it just to make sure and Mm -hmm. i think players fans everybody's kind of okay with like hey on that one yeah let's go look because at full speed that's a tough one to sell because of where everybody's positioned. Not that anybody was out of position by any means. Everybody's in position. Mm-hmm. Just one of those plays that's hard to see at full speed. Yeah. And I think if they used a replay there, it would have looked I mean, I, amazing. I'd almost, I'd almost be okay with, I don't know if it's, you know, the guy in the war room or the supervisor in the building. Like, if, if they see something like that, even having them say, whoa, guys, we need to look at that. You just know, how like, like a concussion spotter can pull you off. Yeah, the just just like the concussion spotter have, and it doesn't. It it could be somebody again. It could be a guy in Toronto that's watching the game, or it could be the officiating manager that is in the building um, supervising that night. Mm-hmm. Like have a way to communicate to the refs. Hey guys, I think we need to look at this real quick. And all it's got to be is a quick skate over, look at it on the iPad. No, we're good with the minor. Yep. You know, takes 30 seconds. Yeah. But again, like I said, though, we don't want that perception of it's a crutch. And I I think that's the biggest. Nobody wants to use it as a crutch, so nobody really wants to go review it because the second you review it, the immediate response is, oh, well, they they don't even know. Yeah. Which, I mean – that's the farthest thing from the truth. It's, Hey, we want to make sure we're right. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, you don't want to be wrong on this play. No, but that's for sure. They call the minor. It was a minor. Mm-hmm. It could have been a major. I mean, like it easy. If you go, especially in youth, if you go two ten head contact or even standalone five elbow, I don't think anybody argues. Yeah, no. So, but um, do you want to move on to the 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 I call it the Philly hit because I don't know who hit who, but it was the Philly guy uh, hitting the Penguins guy. Yes, let me. Yeah, so this is a okay. I'm going to start by saying in professional hockey things are a little different. I know we've said this a few times. Um, there is an expectation of the guy getting hit to not set himself up in pro hockey. So, like, this particular play, I feel like that check from behind could have been avoided by the player that received the hit. And also, I feel like he had plenty of time going into the boards where he could stay upright. Um, now, that's at, that's at the NHL level. Um, you could go – I could understand a, a major game check from behind, a two for boarding, or even a no call there. 
or I think you, you had said you had relate it to someone and they said they'd go two and two, two for boarding and two for embellishment. So I posted it onto one of the referee pages that's like locally to Dallas. And we happen to have a linesman of who refed a few games in the national league, a few as in almost 1500, had it not been for COVID. Um, and it, I was reading through the comments and one guy made a really good argument of like a little bit WWE ish going into the boards. Mm-hmm. Like he threw his hands up, put his head into it. Yeah. And the linesman, and I'm not, I'm not going to say his name. Hopefully we're going to have him on, on the podcast later because I would love to figure out why, like immediately he just said embellishment. Uh-huh. And so the, the reason being is like, he, th- he kind of threw himself into the boards. Oh, hundred percent. He did. Because, like, the more I watch this over and over, the more you see the, right. The second the, he commented uh, the, the embellishment, pro, I was you like, see the pro what? wrestler in it. Yeah. yeah. Like I was like, what embellishment? Like I was like, what? And then like, you look at it and like the Philly guy, I, th- I believe it's Nolan Patrick is his line is his first yeah. name. I believe it's Nolan. He, he hits him, but he doesn't hit him hard. Yeah, like it's it's more of a shove and now this is where it gets really tough between this is the national hockey league and we're doing youth you know like even a triple a doing a youth game this is a major game for checking from behind at at least a 210 uh i mean if his head goes head first you're kind of handcuffed exactly but so the, it, it, it was quite funny because like everybody's sitting here and going five game, five game, five game, five game. And he got as a gentleman who's, so. worked, and then this, who's yeah. been there. <laughs> yeah. The, this guy who has worked 1400 and some odd games, yeah. a few Stanley cup finals oh, that's was like, was like embellishment. And I was like, excuse me, like what? And then you look <laughs> at it and you're like, I, oh, you I, can, I can see, see it. How. That's for sure. Yeah. So you can definitely see it. It was definitely one of those clips where I really wanted to put embellishment, but I was like, yeah, I can't because USA hockey, that's a five game because he went head first into the boards. Yeah. It the onus is on the hitter in USA hockey, even in hockey yes. Canada, youth hockey, the onus is on the hitter. Well, even in even in contact. junior and college as well. Same kind of thing. So um let's see. So moving on, I I love this clip. It's Which from one? the Oilers and Flames. Mr. Yamamoto. And this is an actual slew foot. And it's a really good slew foot. It, it's a slew foot. Like, mm-hmm. I love players like, oh, I got slew foot. And I'm like, kid, you wouldn't know what a slew foot is if you saw it on TV. And now I can show these kids. This is this what is a, a slew foot, foot is. Well, so it's funny. I was I was you watching yank the game. Up top and you kick his freaking feet out. Yeah, I was I was watching the game obviously because the Flames were playing, and I was sitting there. And then you you saw it originally like during play, and you're like, "What the hell just happened?" Like it looked like yeah. he fell. And then the 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 guys at Sportsnet, whoever's in the truck doing replays that night, good on ya because he found it and it was a perfect slew foot. I mean. Yamamoto has the upper I'm body and save this clip kicks him and use it for um, seminars. It's a textbook. Forward. This is what because a this foot. is an actual slew foot. Because mm-hmm. so many guys like, oh, I got slew footed. Okay, it, can you tell me what a slew foot is? And they look at you 
I'm like, no, I need to know what, what, what is your definition of a slew foot? You know, I, we can figure out what so it I is. can call for you next time. Yeah, exactly. So this case here, perfect example of a slew foot. Um, it's on the go team stripes, Instagram page, check it out. So and Twitter and Facebook, and, yeah. any social media, go team stripes. All of these clips are on there. Um, and then the other clip, the the Canadians and um, Senators that little open ice hit from behind. Yeah, Austin Pro Watson. hockey, nothing. College hockey, junior, minor penalty, open ice check from behind. USA hockey, 210 or five game, depending on severity. So are you saying for pro hockey, and this is a legit question, is it because he was already in the – he was already committed to the check before he spun? Yeah. Okay. And and, and that was and my that, thinking too. So in that too. Canadians player too, like if you watch the first part of the clip, he knows that guy's Oh, Duran knew that hit was coming. Like, oh, is that Druin? Uh-huh. Okay. He knew yeah. it was coming. Yeah. Druin's a good hockey player. We had him here in Tampa until we – we traded for Sergachev, which was we won that trade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like but Austin anyway, Watson's Druin, committed to the hit. Druin knew he was coming and he just turned to try to draw a penalty there. And that's why nobody on the ice reacted to it. You see the linesman given like a, a tip signal. <laughs> it was a tip, yeah. And then and then you see the referee cut across, like whatever. Yeah. And I mean, like so, even even Watson, just like he he did even hit him. Like the second he turned, he held mm-hmm. up. Yeah, and it was 100%. more so like it was more so like, well, shit, we're now, in the same lane now. This is obviously at the pro hockey level. So you get down into college and junior where you have that minor. Use it. I I I would use it because that hit is avoidable, mm-hmm. and if you don't call it, it's going to cause some shit. Guaranteed. Um, and then in youth hockey. Obviously, the onus is completely on the player delivering the hit, regardless of the position of the of the player getting hit. And if you watch, Druin's head does whip back, so two and a ten at minimum there in a youth game for USA. So I don't disagree, but here's where I disagree: Triple A game, kids are smart enough and they'll turn. That that's where we become artists and scientists. I was gonna say this is where my scientist comes in, and I'm going two for a rough there. Yeah, you're going minor rough just because he turned. And, and again, now this is only like high end AAA, like 16s, 18s, where the kids are smart. Yeah, when they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's and that's fine. I have no problem with that. I have absolutely no problem with that. But yeah, I mean, any other youth hockey, it's a two ten just due to the fact that the onus is on the hitter mm-hmm. as dumb as that may be to some people. Uh, I don't always agree with it, but the onus is on the hitter. It is what it is. Let's see. So we're going to, uh, we're going to go to the ECHL now and uh, we have a nine game suspension to talk about. I saw that. So a player on the Fort Wayne Comets decided that he wanted to follow a Wheeling Nailers player off the ice and into Wheeling's locker room after having a verbal exchange on the ice during warm-ups. So not only did they have that verbal exchange during warm-ups, he decided to go in the locker room. Like, come on, man. So from the video I saw, he walked into the tunnel. Yeah. Still, still, I mean. Well, it said here, it said um, 
there was a reportedly a verbal altercation on the ice during warmups. So they were doing after the, job. the players left the ice. The Comets player entered the Nailers locker room, continuing the verbal exchange with players and team staff. In the words of Mike Lego, you can't do that. <laughs> I so the the video of it's absolutely hilarious because you see a guy and, in a suit, which I'm guessing is the coach, like pushing this guy out of the tunnel. Yeah. And then his own players are pulling him out. Yeah, and then I this mean, player then picked up 26 minutes during the game and penalties. Yeah, but wasn't now, 20 of it at the end? Yeah, I believe so. Like in garbage time, like he yeah, got like a cross check, abuse yeah. official, inappropriate gesture. Okay, so obviously the stuff that happens in warmups is not in pro. That's not on us. That's we're not on the ice. Now we are we are out there watching. Um, the uh, the league has the linesman watch warmups while we're warming up off the ice. So do you have to have like skates on or anything? No, we're just warming up, getting ready to go. Okay, out. okay. Yeah, yeah. So we just watch. There's video and all that for that stuff. Um, this is completely on that player. Oh, one thousand. Now I would, I, I just the guy need the guy should know better, and I'm, I'm gonna refrain from any anything further until uh, I get more from leadership about it. I just so want to know just, what was going just, through his head. Yeah, I that you know that's more why I brought it up is because. What are you thinking? Yeah, like, hey, like, let me go fight a what, whole team. How is this going to be a positive outcome for you're, me and my You're team? not winning by going into their <laughs> locker room. No, like, not. that's just asking to and get beat up. I believe the game, um, the rink that this was played has is the old school with the benches on each side of the ice. That's That honestly probably saved them. Like, oh my goodness. Like, what are you thinking, man? So yeah, he got a he got um a nine-game suspension uh per the ECHL and Professional Hockey Players Association collective bargaining agreement. And um aren't they obviously, only playing like 40 some odd games this season, too? I'm not on I should know this, but I don't. Like, I thought some teams were only playing like super short seasoned. Uh well initially some teams were going to play X amount and then the other teams were going to play Y amount. And that Y amount was 10 games less than the X amount. And I, I, I should know this because I, I, yeah, I should know this answer, but I don't. That's just wild though. Like this is the stuff that like you, you don't see it in in the NHL anymore. No, you don't. And it's because it's funny how we talk about um, we kind of touched on this in the interview where you're going to see stuff in junior and minor league hockey that you're not going to like each level of hockey. You're going to see things that happen that aren't going to happen at the next level. Correct. Um, it's wild to me that this happened in a four letter league. Um but it's you know like you just you never know what's going to happen and that's that's, that's the, the beauty fun, of it that's the beauty of working junior minor pro all that like you just i i don't even know what i would do if i was standing in the zamdor and i see this happening i i'd probably would run as fast as i could around underneath to get into that tunnel <laughs> so but 
I, I, I don't know what the appropriate response to that would be. Here's as, my thing. I would walk guy, I would walk into my team's locker room or like my like as a referee, like I would walk into where like we get changed. I would look at the referee and be like, Well, hope you have a riot pad tonight. Cause like you know something's gonna happen eventually. Yeah. Like I would straight up look at him and be like, Well, get your riot pad ready. Yeah. Hope it's and, got a lot uh, of ink uh, in and, it. And well, and knowing knowing the level at, at knowing how good these guys that I work with in that league are, they were ready. For oh, anything that could have happened for one thousand percent. They were ready for uh, a line brawl off that opening faceoff. Oh, 100 percent. They were. They were ready. They to were go. probably expecting it. Yeah, I would have been one thousand percent. I would have been like, I mean, you've just been waiting for it the whole night. Like, when's yeah. when's the when's the when's the uh, the powder keg going to go? I mean, I, I get scared when a team starts like the third or fourth line. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, yep. what is happening? And we have a coach down here. Oh, yeah. And you get the lineup card and you're like, oh. This isn't fun. We we have a coach that and and we talked about him in the interview, uh, that does it in the null. He'll start his fourth line every game. And the first few times that like I worked his team, like I was like, he's starting their fourth line. Like, mm-hmm. what 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 happened last game? Like, can somebody please fill me in? It's like, no, this is what he normally does. Yeah. But I think with that, we better send it over to the interview that is yeah. sponsored without, by without further ado. Yeah, but we got to throw in the sponsor. The yes. the interview is brought to you by Hockey Ref Shop. Hockey Ref Shop is the official U.S. equipment supplier of Team Stripes. They carry a variety of referee products, including beginner packages, sweaters, pants, accessories, protective equipment, fun referee-themed products, and more. They pride themselves on having great service from experienced officials and super-fast shipping. Visit HockeyRefShop.com to place an order today. Hey everybody, Ross here with Brendan. We have a very special interview for everyone. Today is going to be all about USA Hockey. We have the director of the Officiating Development Program, uh, Scott Zelkin, with us. So Scott, thank you for giving us some time today and joining us on, on the podcast. It's my pleasure. It's great to be with uh, both of you guys. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Like, like I said, thank you so much again. And I let's, uh, we'll just kind of jump right into it. Um, so Scott, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll uh, go into where you get started with officiating. Sure. I, I so I'm a, uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely a, a product of USA hockey. I'm a, uh, uh, a Chicago or suburban Chicago native and resident and uh, have been here for a good portion of my life. Um, Grew up in a small suburb just north of the city by the the name of Wilmette and started playing hockey there. Started actually figure skating when I was about three years old and transitioned over to hockey as a mite and worked my way up. And when I was, uh, when I was 12 years old uh, playing, playing Bantam hockey, my, my coach, suggested to the whole team that we become officials and and back then this was 1980 um you know hockey wasn't quite as demanding i was playing on a travel team but it was a couple of practices a week game or two on the weekends and and that was about it and uh suggested we all become officials to you know get extra ice time maybe earn a little bit of money and and just be on the ice and so myself and 11 11 of my teammates signed up to officiate. And, and I went through the USA hockey program. I went to my first, uh, 
officiating seminar as a uh, 12 year old in 1980 and worked my first game on an outdoor rink in Glencoe, Illinois for $3. And, wow. Um, $3. $3. Awesome. So I, I think it might've even been a double header. So I got paid six bucks that day. Oh my and, goodness. Um, and, and really discovered over those few, first few years, uh, it was something that I enjoyed and um, probably not a whole lot different than anybody else. Nowadays, mm-hmm. I was able to get uh, establish a little bit of a connection with some of the local schedulers in, in the areas that were close to home that my parents were willing to drive me to. And so I was working three games at Wilmette, in Wilmette, Illinois on a Wednesday night. And then I'd go do three house league games on a Saturday in Winnetka and, and, you know, kind of did that for a few years and, and discovered, honestly, the reality is I enjoyed it, but the other reality mm-hmm. is it was better money as I, as I became 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, even at three or four or five dollars a game, I was making more money than any of my friends that were working at the grocery store bagging groceries. And, and so mm-hmm. it was kind of fun. And as I as I began to get into high school, um, I, I was given an opportunity by some of the more influential local schedulers in the area to work some better hockey games. And, and by the time I was a senior in high school, I was actually working Illinois high school hockey games. And um, Oh, wow. So while you were still in high school, you were working those high school games. Yeah, a little bit. And, and that's awesome. You know, and, and it was as as a linesman in the three three official system. And yeah, I, I mean, I was lucky. And, and ultimately, I think this probably goes for anything. And it's certainly a. a a thread through my entire on ice career was I had people that believed in me and were willing to give me opportunities. And, uh, um, and, and certainly, you know, got those opportunities. And when I was, uh, a senior in high school, I, I got the opportunity to go to, at that time, there were only USA hockey regional camps and the USA mm-hmm. hockey select camp. So I went to Northern Michigan university, um, and participated at a USA hockey regional regional development camp where my instructors at that time were Dennis LaRue, Jim Doyle, uh, and uh, um, Joe Prescott. And there's some names. <laughs> so, you know, still some people that are involved and, and, and mm-hmm. those guys, uh, you know, as a senior in high school and, and I could, I could go through the list and it's funny, you look back at some of our regional or some of those summer camps and a lot of the people I was able to participate with are, are still involved very much in hockey. Casey Jorgensen went through the camp system with me. He's, uh, he's the assistant executive director, legal counsel for USA hockey. He went on and worked the Western hockey league, went to law school. He ref, he refereed and lined in the Western league. He's from Seattle, went to law school and now is, uh, has a big corner office at USA hockey dealing with a lot of the legal matters. Um, Matt Leaf went through those, those camps with me, Donnie Adam, Don, had an extremely distinguished international career as well as mm-hmm. collegiate career. He's worked a couple of Olympics, um, is now the coordinator of men's ice hockey officials for the NCHC. He also worked uh, within the NHL trainee program for a number of years. He went to those camps with me and, and it's uh, uh, Matt Leaf, the, the director, my actual boss, the director of the officiating education program for USA hockey. He was part of those camps back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was kind of a neat process, but as I worked my way through the camps in high school, I also, uh, as I, as I got towards the end of high school, I kept on working 
um, and got seen by Ron Foyt, who was also involved with the camps. Ron is a former National Hockey League linesman, and at that time, he was the uh, director of officials for the Western Collegiate Hockey Association. And, and back in those days, that was, I guess, the precursor to what the NCHC is now. So the WCHA yeah. back then was Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Duluth, Denver, CC, mm-hmm. um, Michigan Tech, and Northern Michigan. And um, I ended up going to school at the University of Denver and got the opportunity okay. to work as a linesman in the WCHA during my four years at school. Oh, wow. Um, and, and so um, I was actually just about to ask you after you got out of high school, um, did you go the junior route? You got obviously you got right back right into working to what division one then? Yeah. It, it, and, you know, the, the, the program I'm fortunate enough to run now didn't exist back then. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, my first my first three years in college, I and once again was very lucky and had people that were willing to give me opportunities and believed in me. The WCHA, Ron Foyt, gave me opportunities to work at Denver and work at Colorado College on the lines. My sophomore year, the New York Rangers put their their farm team into Denver in the old International Hockey League. And so I was working the lines for, they had a team out there for two years, the Denver Rangers. Um, they had guys playing on that team by the name of Mike Richter. Uh, oh, he wow. spent a year, he spent a year playing there. A guy named Peter Laviolette played on that team. Guys like Mark Tenorti, Mark Jansons. Um, and, and it was mid eighties and it was some pretty rough and tumble hockey. And I got to work mm-hmm. both Donnie, Adam and I, Donnie's from Denver. We went through the camps, but we worked together on the lines with a lot of NHL officials that were coming up at the time mm-hmm. that I was later fortunate enough to work with. And so I got those opportunities. And then my senior year in college, I actually got selected and worked the NCAA finals, which was not called the frozen four back then, uh-huh. but was the NCAA final four. And, and I was able to go, uh, be and one you're of doing the this as a student. Yeah. I, as a that's senior. pretty, that's pretty awesome. Like when you really, like, when you think about it, you got a kid, a college student that goes to one of these schools is an official and he's working the, the championship series. It, it, it was crazy. And, and one of my best friends at the time was the captain of the Denver hockey team. And uh, so it was, you know, it, it was weird, but you know, we'd, uh, we'd have dinner on Thursday night before Friday, Saturday series. I'd go work the games on, on Friday and Saturday night. And then, and then maybe meet up after Saturday night for a little bit of fun. Yeah. And, uh, um, and then, yeah, off to a final four. And then, and then in that year, the NHL found me, I went to the select camp and the NHL okay. offered me, the, they looked at me and I was five foot eight and let's call it 155, 160 pounds. And, and back then they were hiring linesmen that were six foot five. Um, yeah. So they looked at me and they said, you better learn how to referee. <laughs> so um, the last year of college, I, I had actually also going back and forth between Denver and Chicago on Mm -hmm. breaks and things, I would stop off in the USHL and referee a little bit. So, um, now was USHL a pro league at that time or were they, or have they always been junior? Well, they, they actually started off as a professional league, but that was back 60s, 70s. So it was, it was junior high. It was at that time, uh, and the structure is a little bit different, but it was a top Mm -hmm. junior league in the country. And, um, so I'd work games there. That gave me experience as a referee, which was helpful because the NHL looked at me and my size and they said, we really like you. We think you've got a lot of tan- talent. You better learn how to skate around with the orange armbands because we're never going to mm-hmm. hire you as a referee. 
So, oh, yeah. Um, so that, that first year in 1990, I, uh, I spent a lot of time refereeing in the International Hockey League, as well as some major junior hockey in Canada, but also worked the lines a little bit. And mm-hmm. USA Hockey sent me to the 1991 World Championships as a linesman. Oh, wow. Um, I so Donnie, Adam and I, Don, once again, Donnie, you know, we, we've kind of traveled very similar paths. He went as the referee. I went as the lineman, linesman to Finland and, and did that. And that was kind of my last, uh, last any real experience on the lines. And, and after that, I spent a number of years working in the International League and mm-hmm. um, then the American Hockey League as a referee. And then in, in the late 90s and 1994, I guess mid nineties, 94, the national hockey league hired me as a full-time referee and I worked in the American league. And then finally in 1997 was able to referee my first national hockey league game in Hartford. And wasn't that the last game in Hartford? That was, that was, was, and it was against the Tampa Bay lightning. Wasn't it? It was. Yes. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think that game's on YouTube. I remember, uh, back when you first took over actually, um, the program, I, somehow it, it came up and we ended up a few of us ended up watching it um in one of the uh in one of the apartments i don't it, doubt it um it was it was cool because yeah. like you got to do the last game in hartford like that's uh that's pretty awesome it, 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 if you know what it was it was a really cool experience and just over my left shoulder here is the the mm-hmm. puck on the wall from the opening face off of the last game in the history of the whalers and uh um you know, it wasn't kind of your typical first NHL game because of, Oh, definitely not. I mean, the game was meaningless to the, it was meaningless in the standings and, um, mm-hmm. but you know, full house, they were on their feet the whole time. I think it was an emotional game for the fans and, and certainly an emotional game for the players. I actually, uh, I got contacted a few years ago by a writer for the Hartford current who, in, who interviewed, uh, I don't know if it was the, the 20th or the 20, it was an anniversary of the last game. Okay. And so they interviewed myself. They interviewed a couple of players. They interviewed a couple of fans uh, that were there and kind of a neat little story. But um, from then I worked through the national hockey league and, and at the end of the 2003 season left the NHL and uh, then kind of got into some real estate and, and was working as a realtor for a number of years. And then I, I got a call in 2013 from USA hockey, kind of out of the blue, something I, completely didn't expect mm-hmm. um offering me the opportunity to to step in and, and be the manager of the junior officiating development program better wise better known as the odp so that's yes that's kind of from 12 to uh from 1980 to whatever 2013 in in 10 minutes there you go so yeah let's so while during that time that you know you'd stepped away from the National Hockey League, you're doing real estate, and then and then you get the phone call from USA Hockey about ten years later. Were you still involved with the game, like doing stuff in Chicago, or? You know what I am. Um, so my first couple of years after I left the NHL, the first year I didn't do anything, and then for two years I officiated some college hockey, and, okay. and it was for me it was uh, a good experience. Gave me the opportunity to kind of. Uh, reconnect a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and after a couple of years, I, I had kind of decided, you know what, I, I, I was at, uh, you know, I'd come to terms with the fact that I was kind of done. Yeah. Um, and, and so I stepped away. And, and to be honest, I, maybe for a year or two, I, I worked with uh, my predecessor within the ODP and I would go around and mm-hmm. watch some games within the USHL or, or okay. some of the other junior leagues to, to coach the officials, but not a mm-hmm. lot, but okay. I probably went 
I probably went four years, honestly, without going into an ice rink or going into uh, doing anything, just kind of got away. And my wife, our, our, our oldest child was, was very young at that time and mm-hmm. was building a real estate business and was just kind of yeah. focusing on other things. Well, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you just, you know, the doing the family thing and, and building the business and all that. So who was it that called you? Was it Matt? Was it uh, Labuda or like the phone call to come be the manager for the ODP? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a combination of some, some of the leadership within USA hockey had, had reached out and said, look, we, we've got, uh, we're going to make a change. Um, Mm -hmm. We'd love for you to help out. We think you'd be a good, good person to, to get involved. And it was almost a a one year um, kind of trial period. Uh, okay. you know, let's see yeah. how the season goes. Let's see if it's something you enjoy. Let's see if it's something where there's a good fit. And, um, I kept my real estate business and, and was kind mm-hmm. of doing both, which is probably the reason my hair is a lot grayer now than it was back then. Um, <laughs> yes. I, you know, when you first logged in, I was like, Whoa, he got some grays. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's so it's, uh, Luckily, so, it wasn't from from me and my group. <laughs> no, you, you and Brendan, you don't, you aren't, you guys aren't responsible for any of that gray hair. It, it might be just the first year. So uh, yeah, so yeah, so you know, they, they reached out, and and my wife, uh, when they made the phone call, we were on, we were in a car on our way back from a vacation. We had the the kid, the family in the car, and uh, mm-hmm. my wife looked at me and she goes, you know, you're 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 most happy when you're involved with hockey. So I think it's something you ought to think about. And, um, and so I I think for a lot of us, you know, the game, certainly by the end, the game was very much a job for me. It was a career, Mm -hmm. but it's how I paid the bills. But I I think I'm comfortable in saying for, for just about anybody that stays involved in the game for a while, it becomes a passion. And, uh, for sure. Um, it was a passion as well. And, and so it, it gave me an opportunity to get back in and, uh, and be able to give back a little bit too. Well, and like for me, I know I was fortunate enough to be there your first year. I um, I had worked a season in the SP uh, and then I deployed and then I came back and that's when you had taken over, um, you and Leakey with, especially with the Southern Pro League. And um, I just remember going to Columbus and getting to meet you when we had our, when we had our camp. I was like, man, this is you know, this is going to be a big deal for, for the ODP having, you know, having you come in and, and take over and kind of change the, change the direction of everything. And then from there, like, it's been, it's been fun watching and like being a part of it for the couple of years that I was and seeing where it is now from even, you know, when you first started taking over, it's definitely been um, a step in the right direction and uh, a breath of fresh air that um, I, I, I mean, I was kind of in it, but not really, but I know um, it was kind of needed. So as far as, you know, when you step in and take it over, walking in, like having not been in this kind of role before, like what were some challenges that, or some changes that you saw that you wanted to make or some challenges that you knew you were going to um, encounter? Well, you, you know what? I, I, I think the, the biggest challenge I had was I didn't know the staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I didn't know really any of the officials. I knew, I knew a few of them, but you know, I walk into a meeting in Columbus and I don't know really anybody. So yeah, it, it, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was try and learn 
learn who the officials were, learn a little bit about them. And, and obviously the ODP is a very big program and it's, uh, I might sit, sit there with the title of the manager of the ODP, but there are certainly some other people that really make this program run um, to keep the operation moving along because it's not a, it's not a speedboat. It's a, uh, it, it's an aircraft carrier um, mm-hmm. between the various leagues that we assign and the, the amount of officials and the traveling and all the games and things like that. But, you know, so my first challenge was to kind of get a handle on what was all involved in. And for the first, really for the first six months, it was like, I could only run six miles an hour and I was on a treadmill that was going seven. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and so I couldn't keep up and I would like, well, we do this, we do this. And every day it was like peeling back the onion. So that mm-hmm. was one of the challenges. And then the other challenge to be honest, was just trying to instill a little bit of a culture change. Um, and it, it's uh, the ODP previous to me coming on board was very successful and was mm-hmm. built from the ground up to serve as an opportunity for the young American official to advance and get opportunities at higher levels of hockey where maybe they might be held back in their local areas, or it, it was an outlet and a way to, to give coaching, mm-hmm. training, and development. But I think um, one thing that I heard from a number of people when I began to get involved, and, and I tried to listen and understand, you know, what was the perception? What, you know, what was this thing that I was taking over and, and what did I need to do? The first thing I wanted to do was was just kind of let it run and see where things were. But the one thing I knew we needed to be more than anything was professional. And, and, you know, I don't mean professional in terms of you get a paycheck and you do this and do that, but just mm-hmm. professional in the way we went about our business. That if, if an official wanted to be taken seriously and an official wanted, and I don't mean taken seriously within a local association. I mean, yeah if an official wanted to be successful at the Southern professional hockey league level or the ECHL level or the American league level or the national hockey league level, mm-hmm. as well as all of those other levels officials want to work at, whether it's division one college or represent USA hockey on the international stage, you had to carry yourself and conduct yourself in a certain way to be taken seriously and to be respected. Certainly you had to do the job on the ice, but professionalism was is really an important component of that and so I think my I don't want to even want to call it a challenge because that's not necessarily fair to what it was before I got here mm-hmm. um, but the biggest thing I wanted to impart upon the officials when I stepped in was you know what y- you want to do all of these things you're going to have to carry yourself a certain way there's a certain expectation if you want to be the 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 guy that's the class clown and going to show up late to a game or going to conduct yourself in an unprofessional manner. The, the reality is we don't have time for you because the leagues above us don't have time for us. And when I'd have conversations with the national hockey league about what I was stepping into, the consistent comment was, you know what? We, we think there needs to be an up, uh, uh, an upgrade in professionalism. So that was, the first year was really trying to say, listen, we're going to conduct ourselves in a certain way. And then when we get in there, we're going to figure out everything else. And so that was really the first year. And you make a really valid point as far as professionalism goes away from the things on the ice, because 
hang out there and refereeing and doing a good job on the ice, building a report and coaches and making the big calls or, you know, learning what is and what isn't a penalty and all that, that's very important, but it's also the things off the ice that are extremely important too. And it's something that I feel like at, even at the grassroots level and the younger officials coming up, they, that's something not necessarily taught to them is, Hey, you know, everything you do off the ice is just as important as what you do on it. No, for sure. And, and listen, I, I want to make sure I'm clear about one thing for everybody that's watching. That doesn't mean you can't have fun. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean you can't go out and, and, and have a good time with, with, with your fellow officials and, and laugh and smile and, and do all of those things. Mm-hmm. But especially when you get to higher levels and, and they'll say this, any camp, any official goes to anywhere in the world. And, and I don't care whether you go to a, a, an officiating camp in Helsinki, Finland or Houston, Texas, the instructors are going to say thing and they're going to say more people get themselves in trouble and derail their careers for things they do off the ice than things they do on the ice. Yep. Everybody's going to say, that. and, and, you know, as you talk about that, that's, that is important. You just, you have to remember when you step on the ice as an official in whatever league it is, or you're traveling for that league, or you're, um, you know, even at home and you're working in a, in a high school league or something like that, you're a representative of that league. When you step on the ice and your crest says USHL or your crest says American hockey league, or your crest says USA hockey, you are a, you are the only representative on the ice of that organization because the teams are representing their teams. So the only one on the ice in the USHL game that actually represents the USHL is the official with that crest on their chest. And, and unfortunately, and this is just the reality of the world we live in, mm-hmm. when you step off the ice, that crest is still kind of attached to you when you're doing yep. whatever it is you might be doing. Well, and especially in these uh, in the smaller towns that we're working, like the junior league games in, the minor pro hockey, like you go out after the game, like there are certain places where we're always going to go in certain towns and everybody knows who the referees are. You know, we're the ones walking in, in the suit and tie. So you, it's not that you can't have fun, but you obviously have to uh, make sure not to get uh, too rowdy and, and give off a bad uh, uh, perception of, of what we do off, you know, who we are. No, for sure. Cause you never know who's watching. No, you don't. No, you don't. And I tell people that all the time, like, and regardless of if uh, you're on the ice working a game, you no know, at your local rink or you're out and about doing whatever, you don't know. Um, a perfect example of that was we have uh, a female official here. Uh, we had a bunch of games going on with uh, one of the other junior leagues and they show up, they're like, wow, this girl's great. We need to get her, you know, working higher level. And she just did one of her, she did her first weekend of division one hockey just because these guys just happen to be down here and notice her hustling and working her tail off. So you, you just never know who's watching you. That's for sure. No, Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's, the, that's the other truism of one of the things we, we've continued to try and impart on the officials is, you know, you've, you've got to be, uh, you've got to be respectful of the fact that you've got to give your all, you've got to give a great effort every night, mm-hmm. not only because, you know, you don't know who's watching, but it's also because the, the players on the ice deserve that yep. from you for the game. Oh, uh, absolutely. And um, so, with, with all that, 
as for, what's your role um, as far as like with your coaching, the officials and all that, like when you go, when you're going to a USHL game or when you're going and doing summer camps, what's the, um, what's the message? What's the, the goal, I guess. Well, I, I, I so I, I guess the, the way I would describe the, the ODP and what our goal is and what our message mm-hmm. is, is, you know, I'm the, I'm kind of the general manager of the whole program. And we have a number of different levels with the SPHL and the USHL at the top, and then the North American Hockey League, and then the NA3. And mm-hmm. we have different people. I'm also, I guess, the head coach, or I oversee, I'm the referee in chief of the USHL. We've got Keith Caval that oversees the North American League in the NA3, and Andy McElman currently um, with the SPHL. And, and our ultimately our message is, you know, we're looking we're not necessarily looking for the best official, although mm-hmm. it's good to have the best official. We want, we want officials that are, are good athletes, number one, or have the potential to be really good athletes. And number two, are willing to learn. And, and, you know, I don't ever stop learning. There are things that happen. I saw a video that got forwarded to me yesterday from the Danish professional hockey. League. Oh boy. <laughs> and and, and it, it was a game in Copenhagen and it was a play I had never seen before. And it took me a few minutes to mentally work through it. And I'm like, okay, this is really cool. So I don't ever stop learning. Yeah. I want officials. We want officials. Keith Caval wants officials. Andy McElman wants officials um, that are going to be willing to learn. And, and because as you advance through those levels, and, and we really want our officials to show that they can master each level before they move up. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be challenged with things that you've probably never seen before that, you know, and, and you probably shouldn't see to begin with because they can be, they, they may not be in the, in the realm of what we expect of a yeah. hockey game, uh-huh. but nonetheless, they're going to happen at the junior level. And even at the minor professional level, you're going to be challenged with these things. And you know what? You may not handle it right the first time. And, and that's okay. Like we don't mind mistakes, but probably no different than, my English teacher in school, you can make the mistake once, just don't make it over and over again. We want you to learn from those mistakes. And, and so we really want officials that have the ability to be great athletes, um, are willing to learn, and then honestly are going to conduct themselves in a professional manner and be really good teammates. Because, you know, you talked about the apartments, you talked about some of the demands we put on our officials, we want them to be really good teammates, both on and off the ice, because we're trying to create a culture and, and strive to create a culture of, of, you know, everybody's going to treat everybody well and with respect and, and be a quote unquote good teammate. Yeah. And that's, you know, I know like my time while I was in, I still talk to a, a decent amount of the guys, like it's a brotherhood and like, um, heck my boss for the ECHL, Steven is a guy I worked, Steven Thompson's a guy I worked with on the ice. Um, uh, when, when we are coming up through the program and the SP and all that. And then you, you mentioned, you know, seeing things out there working, whether it be junior, or the minor pro, or, you know, and maybe messing something up. And I tell people that I'm mentoring, Hey, don't be afraid to mess up. If it happens, obviously learn from it and don't do it again. But the easiest way to learn something is to mess it up and then learn from it and like not to be afraid to, to say, Hey, you know, own, own that mistake. But 
um, from there, uh, as far as the USHL goes, so let's, let's, uh, you said, you know, you're the referee in chief of the USHL, that being the highest level of junior hockey in the United States, what does it take to be a referee or a linesman at that level? Um, you know what, it, it, it takes a lot of the things I just mentioned. I mean, the first mm-hmm. thing we expect you to be is a really good ice skater. Um, the, the first thing I'd say is the United States Hockey League now is tremendous hockey. It is really, really good, fast, athletic hockey. And in speaking with people north of the border, too, I mean, it's it's every bit the the equal to some of the major junior leagues in Canada. So mm-hmm. um, our expectation of our officials and what does it take to be an official at that level? If you're going to be a good official at that level, you've got to be able to skate. Yep. Plain and simple. You've got to be able to keep up with the play. The next thing you have to do is, is be fundamentally solid. Um, you know, we want you to, we want to teach you the fundamentals and you're going to continue to learn them even through the USHL. Um, but if you can't be somewhat fundamentally solid in terms of positioning, not only as a referee in the, in the neutral zone or in the end zone, um, we go to four man official or four official system mm-hmm. quite a bit now. So as R2 being able to close the gap and being tight so you can support your partner in the end zone as a linesman to being able to be at your blue line. So you have good sight lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to be fundamentally solid. And, and then, you know, your judgment for our referees we want you to call good penalties. Mm-hmm. You've got to call good penalties. You know, mistakes are going to happen and in cheap or marginal penalties are going to occur, but we mm-hmm. want to limit them as much as possible. And then the final thing, and, and we haven't really talked on this at all yet, uh, Ross and Brendan, but you've got to be a good communicator. If you're going to be successful at higher levels, including the USHL, if you can, if you can communicate it's going to, and I say this all the time, it's going to buy you some space with the teams. Mm -hmm. It's going to buy you the ability to maybe make a mistake or two because you're going to have the ability to communicate, to talk with them, to establish a little bit of a rapport, um, which is going to buy you some of that goodwill because everybody, every coach behind the bench in that league. And and honestly, I think in most leagues understands that mistakes are going to happen. Mm-hmm. They just need to be able to talk to a guy that they don't perceive as arrogant or they don't perceive as standoffish or somebody that may every once in a while be willing to listen to them so that they get an opportunity to vent. And, and, and a lot of times, I think sometimes coaches just want to be heard in, in knowing yep. the right time to do that. So if, if you're a good communicator, you're going to be successful at the USHL level. Yep. And it's funny with the communication and uh, that you bring up, I always tell our young guys here and guys I work with like be yourself like bring your personality to the game we're not out here trying to be robots when you're communicating with an official or with a coach or even a player bring your personality be a little different than the next guy and work with them like hey you know try to find that mutual ground or common ground and and learn how to communicate in your best, in your style. So no, that for, way, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 please continue. So I was going to say, so that way, like, I know for me, like when I'm communicating the coaches down here that I see all the time, 
they know me, they know how it's going to be. They know how we're going to go back and forth. And like when you're work, uh, someone who's working in the ODP, whether it be the NA3, the NA or the USHL or the SP, you're seeing the same coaches over and over again. And that's really kind of that first exposure to, for officials anyway, when you're consistently seeing the same teams over and over again, building that rapport with those coaches, excuse me, those coaches and learning how each one operates. No, for sure. Absolutely. And it's, it's such an important part of that learning to, to be the guy that's somewhat familiar. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. right. You see those, like if you live, we have a couple of apartments down in Texas and and in the, the NA South or the NA three, the teams down there, it's tough hockey. And our officials are exposed to a lot of things that they may not see. And they get, they see these people over and over and over again. And I see Brendan smiling. I mean, he, he lives it with, with some of our guys down there, but yep. you know, I was just, I was just waiting for you to bring up the, uh, the Texas division of the NA and the NA three. So, yeah. so Brendan will finally jump in and contribute, but it's, but it, it, it really is, uh, um, you know, that familiarity and that being able to get through those things. And, and you know what, it's okay to smile on the ice. It's all, you know, you talk about being your own, being yourself and having a little bit of personality. That's okay. It's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh. Now it's not okay to, to, to joke with one player about a player on the other team um, Mm -hmm. because you might get yourself in hot water, but you know what? It's okay to smile. It's okay to skate up to a goalie that made a great save when you're getting the puck out of his glove and tell him that was a fantastic save or, man, oh man, you're really on tonight. You know, those things are okay. Um, So having your own personality is important too. Ain't that the truth. Brendan, let's, so uh, everybody can kind of get a little uh, taste of what you deal what the, on the ice side of the NA and NA3. You're, you're laughing. I have to get you involved in this, bud. So it's called the dirty South for a reason. (laughs) Uh, NA3 or NA, it doesn't matter. Like something's going to happen on any given night for no reason. Uh, the coaches, I don't, I don't know why, but they're just the best down here. They are always the loudest, the most opinionated, and honestly, like some of the best coaches I've ever had. The one in Dallas, uh, Dan Walfong, like guy's an absolute beauty, absolute beauty, but he just yells all game. And every time like a situation will happen, he'll start screaming at me because I'm standing in between the benches and he's looking at me like asked, asked. So I turn around, I'm like, yo, what's up, Dan? And he's like, what's the penalty? Oh, Dan, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what they're sorting out over there. I'm over here. I'm with you. Like I'll know when you know. And so finally one game, he looked at me, he's like, he's like, you, you never have the answer. Do you? And I, I looked at him, I said, Dan, like I've worked this league how many years now? And he's like, probably like four. And I was like, how many times have I come over and told you the correct penalties? And he's like, well, never. And I was like, okay. I was like, I just break them up, put them in the box, whatever the ref wants to call, he can call. I support him. And like, it's, it's things like that. I mean, like we'll have just for no reason, we'll have an almost line brawl every other night. Like it's (laughs) honestly, as a linesman, it is the most fun hockey to work because you have to be on your toes. You just have to be. And it's great. I love it. But I want to ask Scott, I got a question for you. Like I've honestly had this question since I was 18 and first started in the program. How do guys get, I guess, noticed? Like how, how do you go from working AAA hockey? Like I got, I got seen at a showcase up in Blaine from 
somebody, I still don't know who. And then you get an email two weeks later, like, Hey, do you want to get your feet wet in junior hockey? Like, how does that process work? So how does somebody get noticed? How- yeah. Notice to hired to. So there's a few different things. It goes back to what Ross was talking about is you never know who's watching number one. So, but we have people. So, so our main, one of the main ways we get the opportunity to see people is we hold a prospects camp um, every summer in Buffalo. Now, when I say every summer, we didn't have one last summer because uh, the world was a little upside down, but it's our intention this year to hold a prospects camp in Buffalo along with one of the USA hockey player development camp where we bring in potential officials. The other thing we do is we have people out there watching at various showcases or national tournaments, or, um, uh, you know, we go to the, some of the, some of the private officiating schools, we'll have representatives there, you know, so there's five or six different people that are kind of traveling around looking for people that might be interested in officiating junior hockey. There are people that will reach out directly to us that'll say, Hey, I, uh, I, and I'll never forget. And I'll, I'll, you know, there's a, a Jake Rakuki who's now working in the American league in the ECHL and had a very good, good stint with us in the ODP. I remember when he reached out to me, I didn't know who Jake was. Jake sent an email to me one winter and said, Hey, I'm, I live here. I want to work junior hockey. How do I do it? And, and we went out and watched him and we thought he had some of those skills and, and we gave him those opportunities. And, um, so part of it is officials need to, uh, be a little bit of their own advocate in terms of, you know, promoting themselves. The other part is, I don't want to say they have to be in the right place at the right time, but w- when we're watching, they have to perform a little bit. And, and the other thing is it's a small world. The officiating community is, is a small world. And, and I mean, like I just talked about getting a video from Denmark, but you know, there are officials we hear about from all over the world. And I mean, literally all over the world that want to be involved. And we can reach out to people we know in those local areas to find out about them. So for example, when we fir- first discovered you, you know what, we might've reached out to some of the local supervisors down in Dallas or the local administrators and said, what does this kid bring to the table? Um, and, 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 and honestly, those people are, are, you know, those people, we trust their opinions. And if they say to us, you know what, this official is really good, but he needs another year or two, we're going to encourage that official to, to keep doing what they're doing. Um, Cause we don't want to rush somebody. We don't want to put them. We, we want to do the best we can to put an official and set them up for success. Um, but success can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, for a young kid, we want them to be successful at the NA3 level. We want them to be successful there before we're out. We want to set them up for success there. If we don't think they can handle that, whether it's in Texas where there's a line brawl all the time or it's up in Minnesota or out east, we want to give them those opportunities there and then continue to set them up for success as they move along the ladder. Um, I got an email from a young official yesterday who reached out to me three years ago as a, as a 15-year-old and said, I'm really, I love officiating. I want to be a part of this program. What can I do? And the first thing I did was talk to somebody in the local area to see if they knew who that official was, that the feedback we got was, yes, this is a really, 
you know, this, this young man has great promise. And I said, fantastic, but he's only 15. I don't even want to talk to him until he's 18. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so the response three years ago was, thanks for your inquiry. You know, in a couple of years, I want you to reach back out to me. But in the meantime, I want you to officiate as much hockey as you can at the local area and get as much experience as you possibly can. And yesterday, that young man reached back out to me and he said, do you remember me? I, I emailed you way back when. And, and I'm now going to be in college and, and I'd love to get involved with the program. And so there's somebody we're going to bring to our prospects camp in Buffalo. If we can, if we have a prospects camp. Um, and if not, we're going to make sure we see them early next year and, and we might get that person involved. So that's a pretty long answer to your question, Brendan, but, but you know, we're, we're trying to find people from all over the place. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, and the fact that, you know, three years later, um, you know, he's, he's emailing you back is hope oh, I I'm sure he probably did all the right things in, in his local association. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, speaking of the age thing, um, what, so we have our officials that are turning like 18, 19 that, you know, started a few years prior They're They're ready to jump into that junior hockey thing. Um, what is your advice for, let's say our like college aged officials, like where they're trying to make that decision of, you know, Oh, I want to go do this full time. Like I'm 18. I'm passionate about, I want to do this, that, and the other, um, what would be your message to those guys on the younger end from, you know, like your 18 to like 20 year olds, as far as like considering like school and hockey and all that kind of stuff. My message to anybody like that is get an education. Mm-hmm. Um, we do not, we will never, ever ask somebody to quit college to come work for us. Never, ever, ever. Um, we will, and, and we work with officials that are, if they're in college and they're going to a brick and mortar university, but they still want to work with us, we will work around their schooling. We will, we totally respect and totally want our officials to get their education. Now, if an official comes to us and says, I want to go to school online mm-hmm. and, and I'm willing to, to do this, we're going to have a conversation about how that fits in with them personally and whether it makes sense or not. But I can tell you as somebody that was fortunate enough to officiate in the National Hockey League as a referee, I'm so grateful that I have a college education, that I was able to fall back on that and also that I was able to get those experiences. Um, and and as the leader of the organization and speaking for Dan Monticelli, our scheduler, Jonathan Morrison, who handles our, our, our travel and, uh, and, and Keith Cavall to a man, we adamantly believe any young official continue with their education and, and we'll work around it. So, and, and I appreciate that answer because that's something that I try telling our younger guys, like, Hey, go, go this hockey can wait. Like this being your primary thing can wait. Whereas, you know, going to school, yeah, you can always do it. Or you can be like me, 34, sitting at University of Tampa. Um, But it's one of those things like the younger guys tend to be in a rush because they're like, I want it now. I want to do this now. And it's like, hey, slow down. You're not going to the American League or you're not going to the NHL tomorrow. Like slow down, take a breather 
don't be in such a rush because on the tail end of it, you're going to be like, man, I wish I didn't rush it. And no, that's it, really the message I was kind of looking to put out there. Like with, with that answer, you know, focus on, on that kind of thing. No, for sure. And, and look, the, the reality is, and, and it's funny, I, I've, you know, you think back about a whole bunch of different advice that, that you get, you know, you probably have different people that gave you different advice at different points in your life and the same for Brendan. And I remember having a conversation with Dennis LaRue when I was about 18 or 19 years old and Dennis was refereeing in the WCHA and I was working the lines and we were having a conversation in the locker room one day uh, before a game. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, if you're good enough, they're going to find you. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the moon, whether you're in Denver, Colorado, Boston, Massachusetts, or Halifax, Nova Scotia. He said, they're going to find you if you're good enough. So do what's important to you. And if you're good enough, they'll figure out a way to use you. And that, that really always stuck with me. And I, I feel like that's, I don't feel like I, I absolutely believe that, mm-hmm. that if you're a good enough official to work at higher levels, there's going to be that opportunity for you. So don't ever sacrifice your opportunity to get an education because so few people are fortunate enough to really make and make a living at this passion that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't ever shortchange yourself on that. And we're going to absolutely always work with any official that wants to go to school. We'll figure out a way to use you, use that official in a manner that makes sense and supports them. Makes, makes sense to me. And it's, and you know, you say that we're going to find you. And now that, you know, in the, in the, in the era of like the live barn hockey TV and all that stuff, like, between yourself, your managers, and everywhere across the board, it's even easier for guys to get noticed than it was, you know, in years past, or even when you were coming up, you know, less video, less this and that. So it's definitely one of those things like focus on, you know, the life stuff, obviously, when you're a younger guy, become the best official that you can be working the hockey that you are working and beyond that. And just trust the process and know that event, you know, someone's going to make that phone call for you or someone's going to walk into the rink or like an example, I was working a game of a few months ago and I actually texted Caval about a situation that we had. And, um, and he's like, Oh yeah, I was watching the game. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so and then my response to that was, so how'd I do other than old fat and slow? <laughs> Cause I, I was yeah. refereeing. Oh, no, that's I, I bet he said you did great. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, he, he did. It was just it was a situation where um, it was a three on three overtime. I was kind of puck watching and like just out of my the corner of my eye, a guy two hands to do to the back of the legs. And my linesman goes, put your arm in the air. Yeah. It's like, OK, so I put my arm in the air. The the announcers throwing me under the bus. Because the the cut the the announcer the um, the guy doing the play by play is like the referee Ross Cromaldi didn't even see the penalty. His linesman told him to put his arm up, and I'm like, buddy, we're a team out here. But it, right. it was just funny that I happened. I I sent the video clip to Caval. He goes, yeah, I know. I was watching the game. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep, you never know who's watching. No, you don't. So, um, I guess we got some time for maybe like one quick story if you got one. And then maybe some uh, closing words to everybody. Sure. I, I, I mean, 
you know, I could certainly tell you stories uh, on the ice, off the ice, but I, I, I think that. Or one of uh, your favorite moments, I guess. Well, I'm going to tell you two stories real quick. So okay. they'll, they'll be short. I promise. Um, I, I think one of uh, um, one of my favorite things I ever got to, to do. Uh, and this is, this is more of a personal story for me, but uh, I think the first time I ever refereed in Chicago was pretty cool for me uh, for the Blackhawks. Cause I was able to have uh, a number of my family members there and, and, you know, nobody, everybody that's an official, um, they're always giving something else up to go to the ice rink, whether they're going on a road trip, whether it's us asking Brendan to go, you know, to the other side of Texas for a weekend, or, or you're going someplace in the ECHL or uh, a local official going to the rink for, for four games on a Saturday evening when they could be out with their family. You always, there's always somebody that's maybe sacrificing a little bit so we can pursue this passion. Mm-hmm. And so that was uh, having the opportunity to, to be uh, on the ice in the, in Chicago with, with my family there was, was a pretty special thing for was me that at, was that at chicago stadium or at united center that would actually have been at the united center and okay. and uh, uh that was when the blackhawks were not so good so mm. that was a twenty-two thousand seat arena with maybe eight thousand fans in it so i could <laughs> could easily hear my brother yelling at me so that was uh, <laughs> um oh, so, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure he gave it to you too while you're out there he did so that's i guess that's uh you know i, I i'm not necessarily going to tell a funny or or, or yeah, you good. know that's more of a kind of an important uh not important but a, 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 something that was meaningful and, and meant something to me and i mm-hmm. think the the other thing i'm going to tell you and it's a story i it's something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago and it, it really uh it really resonated and i know i speak for and like I said, there's a whole lot of people besides me that, that keep this aircraft carrier that is the ODP going. And, uh, you know, one of the most important ones is Keith Cavall, who mm-hmm. oversees the North American League and, and is really between him and Dan Monticelli and Jonathan Morrison um, and Steve Tatro, who, who kind of administers everything. I mean, I'd be lost without all of those guys and, and they're every bit as important as I am in, in what we do. And, and Keith always talks about, you know, having good people and, and mm-hmm. giving people life experiences. And, um, you know, certainly our goal is, develop, is to develop, coach and train officials and advance them to the highest levels possible. But the other thing we want to do is set, set officials up and set people up for success off the ice, away from the game. And uh, I got a call from from somebody that was in our program a couple of years ago and, and was fortunate enough to work beyond the ODP and work in the ECHL. But, but that official has recently left the ice on a regular basis to have a, a really good job out on the mm-hmm. East Coast. And, and that official said to me, he said, you know, Scott, I just I, I can't I can't thank the program enough for everything in the experiences they gave me, because there isn't anything I do every day that I didn't, wasn't helped because of the experiences I had within the ODP. When I'm dealing with people, when I'm in meetings, when I'm talking to people, um, the ODP is the reason I've been able to be as successful as I've been in this job I currently have. And, 
and, and I wouldn't trade those experiences with the program for anything, even though I'm not a referee in the national hockey league. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know what? So few people are fortunate enough to get to that level. Uh, the vast majority of any officials anywhere are not going to work at that top level. Um, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. That doesn't mean they still shouldn't go through those processes and those experiences and dealing with that line brawl in Texas on a Saturday night and, and learning how to interact with that, that crazy coach that doesn't think you have any answers, um, you know, or, or, or the nut in Florida behind a bench in Pensacola. I mean, um, you know, all of those things are what make us better people. And, and I think to me, it was very rewarding, not that this was being said to me, but that there was somebody that had been through beginning to end our program and felt like, and, and is very successful away from the game. Um, and I know is going to come back and serve the game in some manner in the future, but nonetheless feels like their time within what we were doing, helped them out and, and moved them along and, and gave them uh, some life experiences that they're relying on now as they're successful. And that, that really, uh, it meant a lot to me. And I think it's a, it's a, to me, it's a cool story uh, and, and very rewarding knowing that all of the things that guys like Mono and, and Jonathan and, and, and Keith and Tater and I are, and Andy McElman are doing are, are very worthwhile. So um, maybe not the story you expected, but, but certainly I think, uh, you know, something that made, you know, was very rewarding on a personal level. And, and it's funny, like when you, when you talk about that, um, I kind of sit here and kind of reflect back on my time in the military and then my time, you know, doing the pro in the program. And obviously I'm still pretty active on the ice, but the things that I learned while going through the ODP, um, you know, before you took over, after you took over, in all in all my time in officiating, honestly, it's definitely helped me in my life with learning how to deal with people, understanding and showing compassion and and figuring out where people are coming from when you're having a conversation or or just anything in life when it comes to that kind of stuff. So that's that hit that him telling you that, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of goosebumps because it thinking about it big picture for me it's 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 a lot of the same and i mean obviously the odp is about developing officials you know working hockey getting to the highest levels that you can but there is that human element to it too and setting people up for success in their lives outside of hockey because like you said only a select few are fortunate enough to make it to the top of the mountain but you know we're all going to be involved in some way but outside of that also, you know, the life lessons that we do learn, like I, I wouldn't trade my time in the ODP for anything. The people I've met, the things I've experienced and, and the travel and all of that stuff. No, for sure. And in and, and, and that story, that's not a, um, I don't view that as a reflection on, on me. I view that as a reflection on the entire yeah. program and yeah. what the officials yeah. do for each other. I, I think that's that's just the real cool thing. And it, and it is, and it's, you know, it is a brotherhood. It, it's, it's shared experiences. It's shared experiences under stress. Um, mm -hmm. All those cool things that we actually really enjoy about officiating. Yep. And it's funny uh, recently, I kind of have reconnected with, uh, with Leaky and I talked to him a little bit here and there. Um, you know, and reconnecting with him and, and some of the other guys, it's, it's just, again, it's, you know, the, the, the experiences, the, the, 
being stressed out in between periods, sitting in the locker room, looking at each other, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like those kind of moments. So I mean, really with that, I think uh, we've, we've covered a lot. We've talked a lot. I know in the future, we'd love to have you on again to talk about more like ODP stuff, like maybe even maybe try to do a, a couple recordings here and there where we maybe even share clips and talk about some like referee type stuff. I think that would be awesome to do with you. I, it would be, uh, it would be my pleasure. I could bring my dog along too. So that would perfect. <laughs> that would be good. Um, no, it, look, it's, uh, uh, it's been my pleasure to be with you guys today and, and I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy what you're doing and, uh, we'll certainly look forward to joining you guys again to, you know, talk ODP, talk, uh, talk officiating and, uh, and, and talk dogs. Yes. Yes. The doggos are, are the best part. That's for sure. Scott, thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. Brendan, you got anything for Scott before we go? No, I mean, thank you for coming on. Can't wait to have you back on. Oh, it was my pleasure. So thanks gentlemen. That interview was also brought to you by SIG hockey. Are you in the market for new equipment? SigHockey.com is your newest source for pro stock NHL and NCAA hockey gear. SIG Hockey is offering Team Stripes listeners 10% off their first purchase with code STRIPES10. That's STRIPES10 for 10% off your order at SIG Hockey. That's SIG, S-I-G hockey.com. That interview with Scott was awesome. Uh, obviously, the director, manager of the ODP official development program of the United States. We hope to have him on uh, more We're- in the future. Yeah, we're definitely we're gonna be shooting for about three times a season. Um, when they find out their date for their um, basically, I guess tryout camp or Prospect prospects camp. camp. Um, when we find out the date, um, I want to have Scott on about a month or so out to put out the message of, "Hey, here's what we're gonna be doing at this camp." Here's what you can expect. Here's what we expect of you. Um, So we're going to get all that information out there for all of our American referees or really, you know, anyone that listens. So USA Hockey's officiating development program is open to anyone. Mm -hmm. If, If you're good enough of an official and you live elsewhere and we, a perfect example of this, the referee, his name is Liam Sewell. He's from England and he worked in the ODP for a couple of years. And I believe he even worked some American, some pro hockey. Um, I think he's back in England now. I think he had some, um, some personal stuff come up to where he's back there, but he came over to work in the ODP. So this isn't necessarily a thing that's just USA hockey. Now, granted the goal is to advance American officials, but um in general, like this is, you know, we, we just want to provide the best on ice product we can. Yeah. So we're going to have Scott on uh, our goal is three times a season, uh, you know, summertime to get everybody kind of, Hey, here's what we're doing at camp. And then going into the season and then like three quarters of the way through, or maybe even going into playoffs. Yeah. And, and I mean, to speak on the ODP, like Ross is being through it. I'm currently in it. It is like 
if you're a good official, they will find you. And, and Scott even said yes. that in the interview, they will mm-hmm. find you. They don't care where you're from. They will make it work with your schedule. Yep. Um, like I knew one guy I was yeah, working well, I with. Mean, we, we covered, you know, while you're in school yep. and like this, that, and the other thing. So, yeah. And I mean, like to really hammer the point home, like there was a guy that I worked with, I think it was two years ago. Now he came down to do like, a weekend swing in Corpus college station. And then like Dallas, like it was a, it was a weekend swing of like six games in four days. And they flew him from whatever school he was up at, uh, like somewhere up North, they flew him mm-hmm. from there all the way down here just to referee hockey games. Like if, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was a great interview. I mean, cannot wait to have him back on. He's always fun to listen to and talk to. Oh yeah. Got but moving stuff on about him too. So we have some huge news, big breaking news today. And the news is hold on, wait for it. Breaking news today. The national hockey league has announced a seven year deal with ESPN, ABC and Hulu. Um, It is exclusive coverage for the Stanley cup finals on ABC uh, for four of the seven years. Half of the Stanley Cup playoff games will be shown on ABC and ESPN. There will be 25 exclusive national regular season games on ESPN or ABC. 75 regular season games will exclusively be streamed on ESPN Plus and Hulu. And for your out-of-market package, formerly NHL TV, ESPN Plus will take over for nhl game center or whatever you want to call it so welcome back espn having espn back in the fold for hockey is going to be huge can they uh can they bring back the glowing puck too no that was fox (laughs) oh that was fox i thought that was was espn my here i have i have three requests three requests from espn number one that music Oh, one thousand. You have to. Don't change the damn music. Bring back the old NHL music. I will be so mad if they change it. Number two, Gary Thorne mm-hmm. and Bill Clement. I know Bill Clement retired, but if they can get him on one game a week or one game a month, I don't care. I need Bill Clement and Gary Thorne calling hockey games back in my life. My third request: NHL tonight with Butcher Grass and Barry Melrose has to happen. Oh, and I need Darren Pang back too. Well, Panger's working in St. Louis though for Fox. Yeah, well, eh, whatever. I, You're I right. Need, I would. I, I would need take a, a call. I need ESPN. a holy jump in from Darren Pang, and I need Butchie tweeting. You know, Butchie's overtime heroes or whatever, like the thing he does on. So, bring back old school NHL tonight. Bring back the music, uh, Bill Clement, Gary Thorne. Oh my God! Like I watched the um, the cold open for uh, a game. It's on. It's actually on uh, YouTube from uh, a 1995 Nordiques versus Rangers playoff game. And listening to Clement and Thorne do the like lead up to the game brought me back to my damn childhood. It was amazing. Dude, like, there's going to be so many people like you just absolutely loving it. I'm excited. And and now SportsCenter will have an excuse to show more than just LeBron highlights. Finally. 
<laughs> Hopefully they do. I actually might now. actually start watching Sports Center again. As long as they show more hockey highlights, I'm I'm sold. Yep. So that's big news. It gets hockey back on the uh, you know on the stage of ESPN, which just speaking to the to the growth of the game is mm-hmm. exponential. I mean, it's ESPN well, like. Back after the lockout, they wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah, and we ended. We went from the 04 Stanley Cup Finals being on ABC to you know the lockout. Then the next season, like it's on Versus. I remember. I remember when or Versus outdoor had light outdoor yes. life network. Yes, I remember that time when the playoff games were on like versus the outdoor network like on just all these random channels. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ESPN coming back for hockey is is huge. I mean, they obviously are trying to make it a global game. It yep. is a global game, but any any more exposure they can get the better. ESPN's huge for that. Yes, sir. On some other news though, the Calgary Flames hiring are going to party like it's 2004. Oh, hey, but you know what? Back in 04, we almost won a cup. I will almost. have Daryl Sutter on the bench all day long. When they announced his hiring, it was, I believe it was I messaged Wednesday the, night. I messaged the group right away and I said, what year is it? I was <laughs> so excited. And it was funny, like the amount of jokes I heard of like, hey, what year is it? Like I was like, it don't matter. This guy's going to come in. And I was talking to somebody about it. And I was like, this is the coach that either wins the Stanley cup or they're going to blow up the roster with it. Mm -hmm. Because if Daryl Sutter can't win you a Stanley cup, it's not coaching. It's probably your roster. (laughs) And with the core group that we have of like Monaghan, Mm -hmm. Goudreau, uh, Lindholm, you want to even throw in Bennett if you really wanted to, like that core group has underperformed vastly and it's going, I mean, like his first practice was yesterday and 35 minutes in they're bag skating Mm -hmm. in the middle of a regular season. That's already like cramped. Like I absolutely am pumped that he's back behind the bench. And if the flames don't win a cup, like not this season, this season's kind of like the wash form because like, yo, you're halfway through a season. Like yeah. if you make the playoffs, you better, but like good on you. Well, the next two seasons, really like if they I don't hope, win a cup, I then hope you guys just... get to it. I hope you get to the finals, oh. but just remember there's going to be a blue lightning bolt or a white lightning bolt waiting for you guys. No, probably, <laughs> probably not. Hey, and if it is, if it is though, at least video replays a lot better now. They're counted. <laughs> it wasn't in, dude. It was not in the net. Parallax angle. Look it up. Well, you don't need I to lose it. I, I think with that, I will have. We got to conclude. Uh, this is a banger of a week. An awesome episode. Um, big time thanks to USA Hockey Scott Zelkin for joining us this week on the podcast. Uh, next week, um, trying to figure out who we're going to have on. I got a couple of uh, possibilities. I was going to say, I got a few up my sleeve. So with that, um, we appreciate you guys listening. For those of you that do listen every week, please tell another official that you skate with about our podcast. 
the more people that listen, the more fun, the better, you know, you got something to talk about in the locker room. Some, did you guys hear that ridiculous things that Ross and Brendan said last week? I was going to say, you guys can make fun of me. It's a okay. Like, yeah, it's I know I'm easy fine. I mean, I, I get, I get chirped for wearing my team stripes gear now. It's pretty funny. I but, get chirped almost weekly. It's okay. Perfect. Every well, time when, I walk into the locker room. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Me too. So anywho with that, for Brendan, I'm Ross. You guys have a fantastic week, and we will catch you uh, next week.